Yeah, I take a shot at you guys last night. Uh oh, what'd you do? On the most recent episode, I basically say that I podcast with a bunch of old men who are up at six <laughs> on Saturday morning. Well, you know, Paul's bladder wakes him up, and when Paul gets up, I have to get out of bed too. So, Ideology of Madness has the uh, Satine Phoenix endorsement. Oh, does it? Really? Yeah, she really enjoys uh, your guys's tagline. If we geek about it, we speak about it. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, I think it adds to your guys's credibility. People who like to pee in each other's mouths love this site. I was watching something on, you know, TV the other day, and uh, lo and behold, she popped up in it. I was like, hey, I know. <laughs> so, so you were watching Two and a Half Men? Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was watching, you know, Dumbo or <laughs> something. Instead of Two and a Half Men, I think it was called Two Men and a Midget. But... Ah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, the coolest thing happened in uh, – my comic shop this week where i'm in there the books arrived late so i got there before the books did which blows but uh i'm there and there's this guy talking to uh you know kelly that that owns the place about he's like have you ever seen uh, i hit it with my axe yeah and so he's like that show is awesome yeah 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 uh i got to do the uh the little pimp up like well <laughs> 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 she's on my yeah. podcast. Yeah, I'm like, you know, she's uh she's a new host on my show and uh you know, I got to I got to see the whoa. Like I I'm a local celebrity now. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be in the newspaper. <laughs> That's Aww. right. In the around town section. <laughs> local podcast celebrity Jonathan Landreth. Regularly podcast with Satine Phoenix, ex-porn star. Books with Aaron and Polly and their amazing friends. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. This is Jonathan. And this is Tim. And you know what? I'm glad everyone is on this week because I have an important question to ask. Oh crap. Okay. Has anyone see that seen that new Batman porno film? <laughs> Wait, what? No, no, I haven't. <laughs> I actually know what you're talking about, though. I heard uh, – and I've seen little video clips of it, and I have to say I am intrigued. <laughs> you know, it just came out this week, and it's it's not a small budget. It's actually a big-budget story-based porno, and they they have costumes, and everything is done, the acting and everything, just like the 60s Batman show with Adam West. You know, I mean, like the guy who plays Batman even talks like Adam West, and I mean, it is – it is straight up like a Batman porno. This sounds really hot. Yeah, this I, I got to see this now. Is it gay? Is it gay porn? No, 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 no. So it, it's, not, it's, it's not a lot of hot Batman on Robin action. No, no, but they do take no. on Catwoman. And the <laughs> name of the the name of the thing is Batman XXX, a porn parody. Yeah, 
Wow. Uh, and that's how that's how they're safe by by not getting sued by you know because it falls under the parody thing. <laughs> um, because I mean it is it is I mean they I think they even bought one of the original Batmobiles or modeled the car. I mean they have like the freaking 1960s Batmobile in the thing. Now here's um, what I have to know, Paul. During the money shots, there's a big text scrawl come up like splooge. <laughs> no, it doesn't, and that's disappointing. Oh. <laughs> I know, but the uh, funny thing is, this sounds like Paul's watched the whole thing. I have. <laughs> I saw the trailer for it a little while back, and I was like, you know, I don't know how I feel about that. I really don't. I was like, maybe that's going to creep me out. I don't know. But you know what? It doesn't creep me out at all. If anything, <laughs> I actually really like it. <laughs> yeah, Paul found out that uh, it turns out that writing was better than. Grant Morrison's current stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's not hard. But Batman is, oh, yeah. <laughs> I am shocked that only one of you guys has heard of this thing. Now, I, I'm kind of uh, amused at, you know, well, I saw a preview for it. So were you, you know, at the theater seeing, you know, Juliet and Julia? <laughs> <laughs> no, Newsarama and uh, Comic Book Resources both did articles on it. All those good comic book websites talked about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Paul, we'll be expecting your review on the site anytime now. It'll be Batman and Robin Hart on crime. <laughs> like it. Uh, that, that's perfect. <laughs> you know what I did see on TV, though? We talked a while back. I mentioned one of the comic shops locally was doing commercials, and you guys were all surprised that they actually were on TV. I saw a commercial for Fables on TV. What's Not that? Like, Is that a comic shop? No, the actual comic book, Fables. A, a comic advertisement? Yeah, I have never seen that before. I was watching BBC America, watching Doctor Who, and in one of the commercials, they uh, they start showing artwork. It's like, I recognize that. That's from Fables. And they start talking about uh, you know Fables in Exile. And it was an ad for all the Fable trades. That's I awesome. Was just, I was blown away. I've never seen an ad for a comic book on TV before. I don't. I don't think I ever have. Yeah, me either. Now that I think about it, but you know what? This gives me an idea. It sounds like we need to have a Funny Books TV ad on Doctor Who, <laughs> so that we can advertise to Wayne. Okay. Yeah, so that we can advertise. You know, maybe we can just have product placement in the show. You know, like you know, you know, like in some TV shows, they break out a bag of Doritos or they save the world from their Sprint phone. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Doctor Who could listen to Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just saying. We save the world. Or whatever. I don't watch Doctor Who. <laughs> you Jonathan gets the KY point. jelly head. <laughs> I, I don't know about you guys, but this was a, a much lighter week for me at the comic book shop. I The last several weeks have been you know 40 and $50 weeks, and I was able to eke out of there for 20 bucks this week. You know, I thought it was going to be a light week. I thought I had three or four books, and I ended up grabbing things I didn't expect to grab. Like you're down there? <laughs> <laughs> like, like Batman. Yeah, I, I, hear the, uh, I hear the shop owners pressing charges. <laughs> Sorry, Paul's got me in a porn mood. <laughs> Actually, there was a discount involved, but... Hey, times yeah. are tough. you got to do what you can for a discount. Uh, exactly. No exactly. That wasn't a discount, Wayne. He just didn't charge you tax. <laughs> <laughs> Service charge. <laughs> uh, you know, there's really almost no way to pull back from this. <laughs> so it's brightest, our brightest day. day update. Exactly. <laughs> I, 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 I'm still enjoying this series, but it's kind of uh, suffering a little bit from 52 syndrome, I think. Not enough happens in an individual issue. I read the book, and I put it down, and I'm like, 
okay, well, nothing really happened in that issue, you know, and, you know, because there, there's so many different stories and they haven't connected yet, you know, they, and they try to touch on every single one in each issue. Well, and the, the thing that really happens in this book happens within the first four pages. And that's, you know, Dead Man, who is now mysteriously alive, uh, facing off against the Anti-Monitor. And, you know, so the, the, his ring is talking to him, but his ring isn't real clear <laughs> on on, yeah. on what it wants or what it needs. But it's willing to school him a little bit. And, you know, so that was kind of the, the big thing in this book. But otherwise, you're absolutely right. Not a lot's happening. But I'm still – I enjoyed this book very much. I do, too. Yeah, and yeah. – the only thing is, is this char- characterizing it as a 52 syndrome is uh, absolutely spot on. There's just not enough happening in each issue. And when you put it in trade, it'll probably read just fine. But the problem with that, and you know, I was thinking about it, I'm like, you know, maybe I should just drop this book because it's going to read better in trade. Yeah. But at the same time, it's so important to everything that's going on in the DC universe. Dropping it is like that I feel like I'm missing a big chunk of the most important storyline going on in that universe. Yeah. 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 I didn't I didn't start picking it up. But I don't feel like I'm missing it. Oh, but you are. In fact, uh, Wayne, I thought about you this week when I was reading it because there's a really nice moment between uh, John Jones and a and a dog. <laughs> and, and, and there really was. It was it was a nice little That could go so many ways. Well, you know, particularly in light of how we opened the show, but uh, <laughs> it, it was actually a a really nice scene. Yeah, it's a good book. It, it, it's just exactly not enough's going on in it. Yeah, I'm glad it's not 3.99 every week. Well, or every I, two weeks. And I think that if it was 3.99, I wouldn't pick it up. Yeah. You know, I think I think that that would have been my jumping off point. That you know, at four bucks a week or every other week would just be a little stout for this thing. Even though it has you know four or five different art teams working on the different stories, each art team puts in a good job. Oh yeah. You know, which is something I couldn't say about 52. There were some weak art aspects of 52. You know, because they they switched to different you know artist by issue rather than an artist by storyline. You know, I, I think it works really well in this storyline. I'm sure it'll help them get it out on time. Yeah, it's a good looking book. It's a good looking book. And another good looking book this week was uh, Siege Aftermath, Avengers Prime. You think? I, I you didn't like the way it looked. I liked everything about it except the the, the way he drew Iron Man. Oh, see, I loved it. Oh man, the way Alan Davis draws Iron Man bugs me. Uh, I, I I actually really liked it. Now, you and I I think I disagree though about Alan Davis because you've said before you don't much care for him. That's a good point. And I I rather like Alan Davis. I don't. I didn't have a problem with the art. That wasn't my yeah, problem. Same but. here. Now, how do you feel about uh, the first couple of pages? Uh, that while they're fresh pages, it's same dialogue, same action you've read in previous stories. You mean the bickering? Yes. Yeah. I didn't have a problem with it. I mean, I think they need to get past the bickering, and even though they've done it in other books, this is the book I think they're going to do that in. Right. But what other books was that in? I never. I haven't seen that scene, and that's the reason I bought this book. I flipped it open and I saw Iron Man and Steve Rogers disputing a call at home plate. I'm like, I'm sold. Well, I think the thing is, they've we've seen this conversation, just not between those two characters. Mm-hmm. You know, we we've seen the Tony, you're an asshole. You know, conversation just not done with Steve Rogers. You know? Yeah, and we've seen Tony complaining about what Steve Rogers is deciding to do in Iron Man as well. Well, we saw this scene where, uh, and I, it was one of the one of the Siege books where you know Steve Rogers tells Tony that you know I, I might not let you keep your armor. There was that whole scene, and it came out of uh, I don't have it here in front of me, but it was one of the one of the it's like Siege number four, or it was uh, uh, one of the first books that came out after it. Yeah, I think you're right, actually, now that you mention it. You know, one thing that bugged me about this, and it's 
it's it's a minute thing, I guess. But they're standing at Asgard, which is on fire. It's just fallen. The battle's just ended. And they refer to Steve Rogers as, you know, the next, the new Nick Fury, the next top cop. Right. You know, but I got the impression that didn't happen. Like, it's not like they flew him out, gave him the job and then flew him back to Asgard while it was still on fire. Well, they gave him a field promotion at the very end of Siege, because at the end of that book, he comes walking back to things, you know, and kind of a, hey, I'm the new boss. You know, I'm, I'm the new guy. See, but he didn't do that as Asgard. He did it. At yeah, Avengers but he already. Tower. Hold on. Hold on. He already <laughs> knew. He already knew he was going to be the next Nick Fury. That's what uh, Obama was hinting at in, uh, uh, what was it? Was it uh, Who Will Wield the Shield? I see. I didn't read that. <laughs> that mean, was no Obama. Know. That was an LMD. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it, the timing felt off to me. It felt, you know, Asgard is still on fire. The impression I got when reading Siege is that this conversation with Steve Rogers and him getting this big, you know, timey position happened after that. So I didn't get that. You know, I'm completely with you, Paul. I thought the same thing when I was reading it. I thought that was kind of out of place. But to be honest, there have been so many continuity issues with Siege that I just wrote it off as yet one more issue. Wayne, don't jump on with Paul's wrongness. Exactly. <laughs> wrongness. <laughs> yeah, it, you didn't even read it, Jonathan. Paul <laughs> is just leading you down the primrose path. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Paul. This that. That conversation, I felt like, didn't happen right away. And if this happened right after Siege fell, why isn't he wearing his Captain America outfit? What's this black sweater he's wearing? keeps a change of clothing with him everywhere he goes. Steve Rogers came back a fashion diva. Yeah, what you're missing here, Aaron, is it's three against one because Jonathan didn't read this book. His vote doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, but all right, so I, did, I didn't wrong. have to. But see, I didn't have to read this book to know already that he had already been given the job. Yeah, but you know what? I didn't even think about the clothing thing. But when they, when they had this conversation, he was still in Captain America gear. Mm-hmm. So they flew him out, gave him a promotion, changed his clothing, and sent him back while Asgard was still on fire. Yeah, Just that's saying. Not, that's not my major problem, though. Um, kind of getting a little farther into the book past the first three pages. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I always kinda, jumping ahead. I was kind of expecting this to be like Superman, Batman, where all three of these characters work together, and the first thing they do is they rip them apart. I, I don't, I don't want to read a book like that. I want to read like a Superman, Batman with 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 Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America working together. I think it's going to get to that point, but if you put them together, you miss that great scene where Steve opens the door to the bar, and you've got all those trolls there. That scene was awesome. I really, in fact, I really enjoyed the uh, moment alone scenes with Tony and Steve. You know, where 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 Steve walks into the bar and he's, you know, hi everybody, <laughs> you know, and it's one of those troll bars. You know, you got to stay yeah. away from those troll bars. It's okay. I'm friends with Thor. <laughs> You're an ally of the of the Lord Thor, son of Odin. Yes, English, good. There was some sort of an accent. Eat him. I love it. <laughs> And it, it, it winds up being this great, you know, several pages of, of Steve Rogers fighting trolls. If I wanted to read them alone, I could pick up Captain America. I could pick up Iron Man. I could pick up Thor. Well, no, because Steve, Steve Rogers isn't in Captain America, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. snap! Well, I wouldn't know because I don't read that book. <laughs> but, I, you know, I would like to point out, you know, Steve Rogers is really into fashion because what does he do first thing after he kicks all these trolls' asses? 
changes clothes. Yeah. Again. Again. Because <laughs> he, he just had a change of clothes with him. Yeah. And then there was the, the freaking backup, which, let me tell you, they must have reprinted every good story that they had already. Because they are really grasping at straws with these last couple of reprints. It's like, hey, let's just grab a five-page story from an obscure book that no one read, like the Thanos story last week. Okay, now I'm going to disagree with you because, number one, I read this when it was first printed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that's and good, it, Methuselah. How did it go? It, well, and it's it's Walt Simonson artwork, you know, and it retells the uh, origin of the Avengers. You know, I, I, now I'm I'm generally opposed to uh, reprints at the back of the books, but you know, don't malign the story. Malign the fact that there was a reprint at the back of the book. That's a good point. You know, I, this book made me break my no reprint, you know, policy. I didn't browse through it. I just grabbed it because I knew I was going to get it and read it. Yeah. And I get to the end and I'm like, "There's a reprint." My my whole boycott against every book that has a reprint in the back has failed on this book because I didn't flip through it. Wow, Wayne. First Grant Mor- Morrison's spoilage, and now you bought a reprint. You have no boundaries anymore. <laughs> Apparently not. Now, I do just for a moment, I, I, I want to talk about the, the, the scene with Tony Stark and what I really liked about it. You know, at the end of Siege, they bring him his one of his old uh, Iron Man suits in a briefcase, right? And so this takes place right after the end of Siege. So here he is in this old suit of armor. Which of course apparently is his three point eight model, and he's got this great scene where he's having to to work on his armor, you know, with you know tools and whatnot that he keeps hitting up his sleeve or something. I just I thought that was two pages of just Tony working on his armor. I thought that was really well done. You know what I didn't like about that though, when he's pulling the glove off, mm-hmm. I always envisioned this armor is well, it's armor. That looks like a cloth glove he's pulling off. Well, you remember this old armor was that uh, cloth that would turn into armor once he put it on. You know, I so didn't like, remember it, that. That sounds really bad, though. The the only things that were like hard were like the cuffs around his boots and the cuffs around his uh, his uh, his gloves and then the the helmet itself. But everything else was kind of like you know cloth that would then turn into armor. That's not very yeah. Iron Man of him. Uh, Iron Manny of him. And you're right. But it's a new PBS show, this old armor. <laughs> Aaron was watching. I would now I have to say, I did actually like the book. You know, we're, I'm being hard on it because, you know, I did I'm not the big fan of Alan Davis art and I wasn't you know, I, I don't like reprints in the backs of my books. But I, I thought it was good. Nonetheless, I don't think I'm on for issue two. And I'll tell you why. Because it's a bi-monthly book. Oh. The, uh, I didn't realize that. Third, this book came out. Issue two comes out on August 4th. Oh. Yeah, that's going to be hard on me, too. When I grabbed it, I thought it was going to be a one-shot. I didn't even realize it was a mini-series until after I'd read it, let alone a bi-monthly one. Well, my complaint about the book – well, my second complaint, because now I'm, I'm hopping onto Paul's uh, bi-monthly concern. The thing that I thought was the weakest part of the book was Thor. The story, the the pages with him, I thought were the least interesting in the whole book. Speaking of Thor, Moon Knight number nine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going with it. <laughs> I guess Jonathan was tired of not talking. Wow, that was. Oh, I don't get to talk for this one either, but I'm just moving us along. <laughs> 
Did anybody else read Moon Knight number nine other than me? He's wow. on the Secret Avengers. I can't read him in his own book. He obviously could never be there to do the the things they did in that in that book. No, not necessarily. Because in the last page of this issue, Steve Rogers <clears throat> confronts him. We we see the start of that scene that we saw in Secret Avengers number one, where he asked him to join the team. Damn it! <laughs> and in the next issue, the Secret Avengers are in the issue. So it's like you know they're they're trying. He's they're actually trying to coordinate these two titles, it seems like. <sighs> <laughs> I saw I'm really the only one who read this, huh? Yes, sir. I uh, I have to say, this book was vastly different than every issue of Moon Knight thus far. Um, you know, the, it, the entire series has been this kind of grim, gritty thing, even with the slight touches of humor of the Deadpool arc. You know, throwing the Heroic Age banner on it, this read more like a Spider-Man book. And yes, Spider-Man's in it. And yes, Sandman is the villain, but it is bright, cheery, big superhero action, you know, all sorts of jokes and funny stuff. I mean, it, it was it's very different than the series has been thus far. Same writer, um, just a very different feel. And I have to admit, I actually really liked it. The art oh, is, does is sound very good. Cool. You know, the art reminds me of um, Jeff Darrow. I don't know if anyone knows who I'm talking about. Uh, big guy and Rusty the Bully Robot, Jeff Darrow. No. All right. <laughs> The artwork reminded me of that, um, and I'm a big fan of his. And uh, I just – I thought this was a, a fun book. And I'm sorry that I'm the only one who picked it up because uh, Moon Knight continues to be a good series, even with the, the, the change in tone from this issue – you know, from the previous issues to this one. I'm sorry too. <laughs> but speaking <laughs> of a change in tone, there were some second coming books that came out last week. <laughs> Why do we invite Jonathan on? I'm not sure. Someone's going to do poor transitions. Yeah. Pull it for me this week, Jonathan. Yes, but there were second coming books. Um, Actually, not this week, but last week. But we're talking about them this week because Johnny Boy couldn't get his ass out of bed last week. Yeah, it was at work last week. Thank you very much. Yeah, whatever. That's what I would say, too. Um, so the ninth chapter of the Second Coming storyline, X-Force issue 27, came out last week. And you know what? You could have read it in the time it took to pee. Half of this book was silent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was pretty pictures, but uh, it, it was like half of a silent issue. Am, am I just like... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even notice it, you know? No, we were going to do the first part of that as a silent issue as well, Paul. But you didn't get the memo. <laughs> yeah. This is our review. <laughs> um, no, the, the, I mean, don't get me wrong. It, I, I did notice it because, I mean, it goes on. I mean, literally about half the book is a, a silent fight scene. There's no quips. There's no bam, pow, explosive special effects. It's just a bunch of good art of people fighting. But um, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm still on board with the storyline. And, you know, the, the ending of the book, uh, even though at the end of the book, Cyclops sends X-Force – you know, at, at, with Cable to make one jump, and knowing Cable uh, let's, only let's has not forget, uh, let's not forget Doug Ramsey also goes with them, and Doug Ramsey goes with them, and you know Cable only has one jump left in him, one time jump left in him, and he sends X Force with Cable, knowing that Cable only has one jump in him, and you know the big last scene is Cyclops going, you know. I just killed them. I just killed my son. I know Cable only had one jump. There's no way for them to get back, even if they succeed. I was so annoyed by that page. 
how many times have we seen the X-Men lost in time? They're sending him forward to a time where they have a time portal open to the past. Why would he assume that he's sending them to their death? Well, it made no that. sense. Let's be honest. If you send Wolverine and say, I just sent him to his death, I'm pretty sure we know that they're not all going to die. Because mm, you're not going to kill Wolverine. Yeah, now you're touching on the main problem with that. <laughs> you know, it, it, it kills a little bit of the suspense knowing who's on the team. You know, some of those folks could die. But Wolverine and Archangel, I'm pretty sure are at least going to make it back. Jonathan, uh, what do you don't think? Be so, don't be so sure about Archangel. I'm sure about Archangel. And I can tell you why I'm sure about Archangel. Because of those freaking X-Men teasers. Oh, damn it. <laughs> I hate the teasers, to be you honest. You know what? I do not look at solicitations. So. I'm not talking about the solicitations. I'm talking about the, when they revealed the team in those teaser ads. One of I, them don't had look, Angel in. I don't look at ads. Yeah, I was annoyed by those because there were a lot of characters shown that I thought might possibly die during this. Particularly Hope. I thought there was a chance she might not make it. And there oh, she the, is in a teaser. <laughs> you know right, we're going to stop talking about that <laughs> right now. All right, so that we don't ruin Second Coming for Jonathan. How is Blind Science? I think you're the only one who read that. Actually, before I, we go on, I have one more comment about X-Force. Did uh, anyone else wonder when Storm started calling Cyclops on the existence of X-Force, is she the next one to have a bastion arm through her chest? Let's hope so. Yes, I did think about that. <laughs> she'll die in the next issue of X-Force. Or maybe she'll be blinded by science. <laughs> or maybe she'll die. maybe she'll die in Doom War. And then just disappear from this book. Oh, wait. No, I don't want to ruin it for Jonathan. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was the only one who read uh, Blind Science. I would say that it was an important uh, tie-in to read. Basically, it features the X-Club, who are lame. So you have to get past that aspect. Uh, but from an overall story standpoint, let me just cut to the chase here and say that the whole thing is about bad guys i don't even know if they've got a team name <laughs> so blind science is is this kind of a thomas dolby thing what nice you know <laughs> I, you know as a noted scientist i'd be very surprised if a girl blinded me with science that's all i'm saying wow <laughs> <laughs> wow Aaron. that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> Let me just cut to the chase on this book. The whole the whole thing is they uh, they convince one of the X Club. They trick her. She's the Hindu one that is unimportant because she's part of the X Club. Uh, they trick her into creating a cure for mutinism. Basically, she makes a cure that gets rid of the X gene. Now Bastion has it. So I think that's that's going to definitely impact where the rest of the story goes, and is the only reason to read this book. Or since you just ruined it, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I wouldn't yeah, recommend going back and picking up this book if I could just tell you the only reason to read it. <laughs> That's what we're going to uh, do with I, every book. From, from I now thought, on, I thought it was going to be – now, it had the potential to be great because if you guys remember, the last time you guys saw the X Club, besides when they were outside the bubble, which happens after this book – was when they were on the oil tanker. You know, there's the timer ticking down. Do you guys remember that? Yep. Okay. It appears they were transported into the future, like where X-Force was about to be. In their fut- in the future they go to, uh, the X-Men won the war against Bastion. 
you find out that Hope is is uh, this monstrosity that you know. It turns out like Bishop was right, Bastion is right about uh, about Hope being the end of the world, uh, like the cause for the the death of the world. So I thought that was really cool, and I was like, oh, so when the X Club gets back, maybe they're gonna actually side with Bastion coming back. But then you realize that the whole thing was just in their heads and it was just Bastion's way of getting them to make this cure. I'm just like, oh, well, that's not as good. (laughs) So yeah, blind science. I hope the X Club dies. I hope they die. Aren't those Grant Morrison characters? I don't know, but I I don't know where they came from, but I hope they die. Like, I I hope Dr. Nemesis dies screaming. (laughs) Screaming. Screaming. And then he burns in hell. And speaking of screaming... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I read Secret Warriors last week. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about Secret Warriors issue 16, which was the final issue of the Wake the Beast storyline. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to talk about this, Paul. I know that you also read this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason is uh, I'm dropping Secret Warriors. Yes, me too. Really? <laughs> this I was the issue said, that did it for me. I thought you were going to try to talk me out of it. I'm, I can't. This issue was so bad. This storyline went nowhere. This is a six-issue storyline that culminated in a boardroom meeting that erupted into a fight that we didn't get to see, and that was it. That Six issues of, of talking just for more talking. It's now, frustrating. I, I've, been, I've been reading this since I got back into comics. What, would that have been last July? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and... I, I stuck with the book because I'm like, oh, you know, over time I'm going to learn these characters, and no. No, I I still read this book. I have no clue who most of the people are. Uh, they don't really get enough – there's not enough personal moments with different members of the team for you to really be invested in them. Like, I don't care if this entire team dies. Like, I, I don't care. I don't care about the villains. I don't care about the heroes. I barely care about Nick Fury in this book. Uh, I've it just I, I've I've read so many issues of this to not be invested. I'm just like, well, it has to be bad. I just need to drop it. Well, and the bad part is, you know, the next issue is the first start of a storyline called um, I think it's like the last ride of the Howling Commandos, and I'm like, that actually sounds really interesting. But, you know, it's like maybe I should just – and I hate to say this, but maybe I should pick it up and trade because that's why I loved the series in the first place. I picked up the first trade and loved it. But buying it on a monthly basis is not doing anything for me recently. And, you know, they switched up the artist in the last issue of this storyline, and the art in this book was atrocious, I thought. I, did, I mean, okay. Yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, so this, it's just uh. – so this was your Twilight of Secret Warriors by much like Hercules' Twilight of his life. And Hercules' Twilight of a God came out this week, and Aaron picked it up because he was a big fan of the creative team that put this together, right? That's absolutely true. I, I, I Bob Layton, who uh, a lot of folks know from his work on Iron Man, he was the guy that came up with the demon in the bottle uh, stories. 
and did the artwork for those books. He had these, I think there were two, maybe three Hercules miniseries back in the 80s. And they were just fantastic. And they were all Hercules in the far future, um, which is where Twilight of a God picks up and actually picks up after that last miniseries. So it's all still in continuity for the sake of this story. Ron Lim also works on it. He does the pencils. Bob Layton does the story and does the finishing. I really enjoyed this. This was a whole lot of fun. It takes place with uh, Hercules in his latter years after he's taken, you know, one too many injuries to the head. And so he's kind of like, you know, Rocky. And what was that? Uh, the fourth or the fifth movie where, he, you know, they're, they're worried about him taking one more punch to the head could, could wipe him out. So uh, it's, this book was a lot of fun. I, I highly recommend it. I, the, the artwork was great. The story was great. It was a nice light read. And I think that it's actually new reader friendly. You don't have to know about those other stories. They give you everything you need to know in this book. So what is the time have, frame of the book? Um, they don't actually tell you the year, but it's uh, you know very far in the future. You know after the Badoon have have been exterminated. So you know thirtieth century something like that. You know I I, I picked this and flipped through this and. The reason I didn't pick it up was, and there's nothing wrong with this, but it just seemed like an angry Hercules book to me. And oh, maybe really? that, yeah, it, especially the cover. I was <laughs> looking at the cover; he looked like Red Hercules. Yeah, well, and that was the costume that he wore uh, back in the '80s for for this story. You know, to kind of set him apart from current continuity. But he's not angry. He's not angry. He's your friendly Hercules. He's still drinking too much and mixing his meds. Because <laughs> you know, mash. Yeah, because you know he he was on, he's on meds in the book because of all of his head injuries, and you know his uh, grandchildren are in the book because they're running the the Andromeda Galaxy where they live in this book. It's just it's it was a whole lot of fun. I I really recommend it. Would Red Hercules be Hercules? <laughs> but this wasn't a one shot, right? This was a this is a first of a limited series. Yeah, uh, first of four issues. Hmm. So I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. You guys missed out. It's good stuff. Always a pleasure to see Bob Layton uh, uh, working on books. Yeah. So. yeah, I still don't care about Hercules. <laughs> All right. Well, and Hercules doesn't care about you, Wayne. Yeah. If he's got Kevin Sorbo, I just don't care. <laughs> now, well, you know what? We all care about our indie spotlight. And you know what? It's kind of funny because our indie spotlight started with Paul's going to talk about some obscure book that no one's ever read. And now every one of us has an indie spotlight book except him. Well, it's because Tim is lame. 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 Well, and I, I think just about all of us read Legends of the Guard this week. I did not either, and I am excited for the book, but I typically read this one in trade. Uh, well, Let me talk I, about you. you guys save the Kirkman stuff for trade. Mouse Guard is one that I save for trade. And I have uh, read Mouse Guard in trade previously, but I was really excited about Legends of the Guard. And, you know, I was talking to uh, uh, Joe Selby on Twitter, and he's like, ah, I'm not interested in seeing anybody other than Dave Peterson, you know, draw the draw the the mouse guard and telling the stories, and I can understand that concern because you know David Peterson has such a distinct voice in the characters and has such a distinct style. But I gotta tell you, I sopped this up with a biscuit. I loved this book, and I gotta tell you, it was a three dollar and fifty cent book, and it's. From cover to cover, it's all mouse guard and all new content. And, the, you know, normally it takes me anywhere between 10 and 20 minutes, 10 and 15 minutes to read a comic book. And I think I spent more than half an hour going through this just because the artwork was so detailed and complex. I just, 
I, I just can't say enough good about it. This book is fantastic. Yeah, this is this is my first time reading a Mouse Guard book at all. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Wow. I just, yeah, I just picked it up on a whim, so I'm because I'm like, I think Aaron's picking this up, so I could talk about something. <laughs> uh, it uh it, it i really enjoyed it yeah yeah uh, see uh see kicked in the dice bags episode 63 for more <laughs> <laughs> okay time out time out i'm taking another time out. <laughs> hold on i i i stopped reading books about mice when i stopped picking up mickey mouse adventures when i was eight uh-huh and so when Dave Peterson was talking on the interview, and he's like, yeah, some people just don't want to role-play mice. I, I don't want to read about mice. <laughs> so is the selling point of this book the art? Is that what I'm getting? No, the selling point is story and art. I mean, the it, it's a you know certainly a uh, anthropomorphized story. When I read it, the first thing I think is Three Musketeers. Yeah. With mice. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just so dang dang good. Yeah, and it is not a book meant for kids by any means. I mean, it's not it's not a really overly adult or violent book or anything, but it's meant for adults. It's not meant for kids. Well, and and you know the the story of uh, at the battle of the hawks hawks mouse and the fox's mouse, mm-hmm. and you know you're looking at Faulkner and you see his weapon. And you're like, well, that's kind of a weird looking weapon. What does that spiky thing do? Oh. That's what it does. <laughs> oh, I get it now. I, 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 I love this book. I loved every story in this book. I loved the pages that Peterson draws, you know, that, that tie all these stories together. And the conceit of the book, as Peterson explained in our interview, is that, you know, it's a bunch of mice sitting in, in the tavern and they're trying to one up each other on telling stories because whoever tells the best story gets their bar tab cleared. And one of the stories in this book, I, I just really thought it was the strongest, was Oleg the Wise. Yeah, that one was a good one. God, I mean, they're all good, but I really, particularly the uh, the artwork was just so very strong in this story. And I mean, it was it was actually uh, there were moments in the book where I, I was actually emotionally moved at what was going on. I thought it was really effective when Oleg gives up his steed. And you know they're walking the steed away from him over three panels in in silhouette, but you can see the steed's eyes are focused on him the entire time. And I was just like, "Wow, that is so well done." I, I thoroughly enjoyed this book. I mean, this is this was a home run. They knocked this book out of the park. Absolutely, you know, and it's a four issue miniseries, and most of the Mouse Guard stories are uh, six issues. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, if you're waiting till the trade, you know, the trades of Mouse Guard are always beautifully done right. with bonus features and things like that. But this book is just really, really great. Yeah, I, I thought it was, I, I loved it, you know. And it's like you said, it took a little, you know, this took the longest read out of anything I read this week. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's a, it really is worth every penny, and it is just dripping. With, with you know, content. I mean, you know, the I, I can't think of the last time I picked up a book that was just so packed of just terrific stuff. I mean, you 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 open up the cover, you know, and and Peterson's got an original cover on the front, and it wraps around, and you open it up, and it's got on the cover and and nine forty two, and it describes what you're reading, and then every single page is original story and art for three dollars and fifty cents. I just and the only thing that's not original story and art is the last page, which is the preview for issue two, which you know yeah. ha- has has a shot of the cover. And I'm just I, I, this is 
value, my friends. This is value, and it's so refreshing. And that's probably why I'm so so ding dang turned on to this book is that I didn't feel like anybody was screwing me over. You know, there's not a reprint at the back of the book. There's not a bunch of sketch pages. I feel like I am getting value for my dollar. I I can't I can't get over your use of the phrase ding dang. I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm stuck I, on that too. <laughs> <laughs> Another book in my indie spotlight that I thoroughly enjoyed was uh, the Hellboy one shot of uh, Hellboy in Mexico. Um, this one's written by Mike Mignola. With art by Richard Corbin. I have loved Richard Corbin all my life. Oh, yeah. Um, my dad was a huge fan of Richard Corbin. He has a bunch of, you know, Richard Corbin art books and, you know, even, I think, like a sketch in one of them. Um, so I've always been a huge fan of Richard Corbin. So, you know, him on a Hellboy story, I was I was sold. And he seems like such, such a natural choice for Hellboy. You know, mm-hmm. his his style, very different from Manola's, um, but it... It does match Hellboy very well, and I, I got to tell you, I thought of I thought of you, Wayne. You know, I think of Wayne a lot when I read comics. I don't know why, uh, but I thought I don't of know if Wayne. I should be worried or not. Well, because there's the Mexican wrestlers in here in their luchador masks. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I thought of Wayne a lot when I read this book. You know, because I'm like, this could be Wayne. <laughs> You know, I really want to like Hellboy comics. I do. I like the character. I love the character. I like the movie. I even like the cartoon. I don't like the typical artwork in the Hellboy comics, though. You don't care about the style? Yeah, I don't like the style of it at all, and I have a hard time getting past it. So I've read some one-shots here and there, and I can occasionally enjoy a one-shot, but I've never really been able to get into the character in comic form. You know, and I, I like Mike Mignola's art. I really yeah, do. I do too. Um, but right now, he's not doing the art on the books. It's Duncan Figrido is on the, the main storyline. Um, but, you know, Richard Corbin, you, you can't go wrong with Richard Corbin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, there were some there were some things about the book that reminded me very much of that episode of Angel where there were the, the luchador wrestlers. You're, oh, oh yeah. my God. Aaron, you just jumped the shark. You jumped the shark. Let's talk about that episode of Angel. <laughs> it did it. You know, I have the entire series, and I don't even think I would have come up with that one. <laughs> I might have I might have pointed to the Middleman episode that had Luchadors, but I don't think anyone else has seen the show. <laughs> yeah, that's jumping the shark. <laughs> hey, just because I'm holding the trade of Middleman in my hand and glancing through at the Luchadors right now. <laughs> Um, but one of the one of the uh, the images that is just very interesting in the book is the apparently demon spawn demon possessed whatever turkey <laughs> that uh, you know appears menacingly throughout the story. Uh, I yeah. thought I thought this book was excellent. I really enjoyed it. And you know I normally pick up Hellboy in trade, so this is the first Hellboy floppy I have bought in forever. But thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, and it's a one shot. You get the full story in this one shot. Yeah, and uh, I, I enjoyed it too. You know, and it's not a new book. It's actually been out, I think, probably a month or two. Right. But you know, if you can get it, pick it up. You know, and I'm sure it'll be collected eventually in some type of Hellboy and other tales trade. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it, it, it's it's a good read. It's it a lot of fun. Awfully good. Awfully good. So there you go. Well, so uh, Wiener. Over there is reading Invincible and Floppy. That's a book I only pick up in trade. So he's going to try and talk to us about Invincible without spoiling it for us. Which sometimes is very hard to do. <laughs> um, we talked a little, we talked a little while ago about the it was a, it wasn't a free comic book day book, but it was a uh, Invincible number zero or something like that. Invincible that returns. Was, 
That's right. That was supposed to kick off the Viltrumite War. This is the first actual real issue where you see things happening in the Viltrumite War. And, oh my god, it just... The violence, the blood, the scenes... This just completely and totally blew me away. I mean, there's not a lot of character moment in this. This is one big fight from nearly the beginning to the end. And anyone that's read Kirkman's books knows that he has a way of just showing you something on page that leaves you jaw-dropping looking at it. It's like, how can anyone possibly survive this? It, now, i got to yeah, be honest I, with you. <laughs> here we go. Yeah, here, here's the dissenting opinion on this book. And I know we're trying to avoid spoiler territory, and but it's kind of hard to talk about it without going into yeah. a little bit of spoiler territory. Don't um, do it. Whatever. <laughs> This is a good book. I did enjoy it. You know, yes, there was a big bloody fight scene. Guts are flying all over the place. I won't say whose. But at the same time, I just saw this like less than 10 issues ago. And, you know, I know that the characters or the character in question is not going to bite it. So it, it, it's no, another he, one of the. He couldn't. Exactly. It's another one of the I don't feel suspense because I've seen the same fight scene, the exact same fight scene recently, and I know he crawled out of it then. You know, I'm sure he'll crawl out of it now. He's not going to bite it. it, it well, just... we haven't seen this happen to him before, and this is only the first or the second issue of an eight-part story. I'm left wondering what they're going to do with the next part. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, the You're right, though. Me, we know it's not. We know it's not death, but it's still, it's a hell of a cliffhanger. It is, but you know, I, I think my problem, and you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to be coy about it, but you know, Invincible gets his ass kicked. All right, let's just put it there on record. Actually, that um, might be the one part of him that he doesn't get kicked. <laughs> but you know, it's like. Invincible always gets his ass kicked. Always. And he's always bloody. And he's always losing body parts or getting his face mashed in or losing guts. Never like this, though. Never like this. But, you know, it's like I've seen it before. I've seen it before. I see it every couple of issues. You know, I would have liked to see something a little different. Well, there was a particular point to this one. It's showing that he wasn't giving up despite that level of injury. He's still holding on. But you know what's funny? In Invincible Returns, and this is what I complained about in Invincible Returns, where he's like, I'm not a murderer. No, I feel like I'm going to kill people. No, I'm not a murderer. And in this book, he's like, you know what? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you, motherfucker, till you die from it. <laughs> you know, and, and that's one of the big differences. We talked about this in the past. For you, that's something that bothers you. For me, he's a confused teenager. He's going to bounce back and forth. He's not solid on either side of the fence. And this is a guy that shows up that he thought he had already killed. He thought was dead. And the things this guy did last time he was there crossed the line so strong that, yeah, he's going to kill him. Because if he doesn't kill him, people he cares about are going to die. So by all means, even though he decided I'm not going to go out and kill everyone anymore – He's a confused teenager that's been confronted with his worst enemy ever. He's going to choke him. Yeah, I just I, – I honestly feel like I've seen it before. And I'm, I'm, I'm on board for the Viltrumite War storyline. But if I'm not super happy with it, I think this may be my jumping off point for Invincible. 
And I only say that even though it's a quality title, but I'm trying to look for ways to cut back, and I feel like Invincible is in kind of a cycle. I feel like I'm getting the same story over and over and over again. And maybe that's just build up to this storyline, but it it still feels repetitious to me. Yeah, and I know for you, you've said it's been a big up and down book for you. For me, Mm -hmm. there's been very little downs from the first issue up till now. It's been almost all an entire up roller coaster for me. And same here. I I, I have not experienced the the concerns that that Paul has. You know, uh, I, I have enjoyed everything I've read so far in Invincible. And I think I'm through the ninth trade or tenth trade. I'm, I'm right around there. Well, you know what? I'm going to talk about a book that none of you have read, so none of you can disagree with me. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, someone should tell Wayne that he can come back on now. No, no, no. It's better with him gone. <laughs> <laughs> um, Radical Comics last week released um, Erp, Saints for Sinners, and not Erp like Burp, Erp like Wyatt Erp. Okay. Um, Erp, Saints for Sinners. It is a Radical premiere. It, it was $1, and it's a, a full-length comic book, fully painted artwork, and it's a preview of their upcoming Erp, Saints for Sinners uh, series that starts in fall 2010. Um, you know, we talked about Radical books a couple of times. We've talked with uh, Rick Remender, who writes The Last Days of American Crime. For radical comics, um, you know, we talked. Uh, Let's not about forget what comics. else he writes. <laughs> uh, let actually let's. Um, <laughs> I know I tried to. <laughs> and we talked about the free comic book day issue, which uh, Wayne and I both found. You know, we we were really interested in some of the storylines there. Um, or Saints for Sinners. This book, like I said, is a dollar, and you know, yeah, it was a damn good storyline. It's basically. I disagree. <laughs> it wasn't written by Rick Remender. It was written by Matt Cyrilnik and Dave Manperl. No. Manperl. Um, Manperl. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it is a futuristic take on the Wyatt Earp storyline, uh, or, you know, the Wyatt Earp legend. Um, but, you know, done in the future, like uh, 2030, and it takes place in Las Vegas. Uh, I. I you know, I really enjoyed it. You know, it's but it's a western of the future, and you know, it if that's if you like that kind of stuff, I know some people don't like their westerns in the future or in space. This is a futuristic western. You have a futuristic train heist, um, you know, things like that. But I, I thought it was really good, and for a dollar, you can't go wrong. So I, I recommend Erp Saints for Sinners, uh, the preview from Radical Comics. Go spend your dollar on it, plus tax, unless you shop at Wayne's shop. Now let's talk about what not to spend our dollars on with our Batman update. (laughs) I'm happy with the dollars I spent on the Batman update books. Yeah, starting with Red Robin, Red Robin 13. Oh, uh, Tim, you read Red Robin? I did. Didn't this book rock? This book was this was book was a great continuation of Twelve. It was an awesome book. The art, I still Marcus to art was great. I liked a lot of the the dialogue. I got the feeling that Tim's finally accepting Damien. It's kind of like he's a little bastard, but he's our little bastard now. It was kind of <laughs> like cool. the way we feel about Jonathan. Right. <laughs> there was <Fair> one. <laughs> there was one scene that bugged me, and this is going to make me sound like one of those really deep Star Wars geeks that complains about uh, Luke crying like a little girl when he drops down the elevator shaft. No. <laughs> but pretty much, we have a scene in here where Tim is trying out his new cape to glide and 
the uh, the wind isn't as strong as he thought, and he finds himself falling out of the sky, and he's screaming. I don't see that character screaming if he falls out of the sky. How many times has he had his rope cut? Has he fallen out of the sky? This is a daily thing for him. He's not going to scream while he's falling out of the sky and give away his entrance. He's going to deal with it. Would Batman scream like a little girl when he falls out of the sky? No, he wouldn't. Batman wouldn't fall out of the sky because he's (laughs) Batman. (laughs) Wayne, Wayne, you are so wrong. You're so wrong. He's trying. He's 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 trying to swear. He just saved himself before he can finish the swear word. <laughs> no, you know what he was doing? That was his battle cry, Wayne. <laughs> he wasn't screaming. He was yelling like, "Ah, I'm gonna come kick your ass." That's what he was doing. <laughs> his battle cry is "Ah." No, I don't think so. It might be. Um, <laughs> this is the first issue uh, with the new writer on it. Uh. Fabian Nicheza? I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Cortez. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, 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 is a, it is a natural progression from what we've seen in previous issues. Um, you know, it, it's nice to have a happy Tim Drake again and get stories that we read Tim Drake books for. And I, I loved it. I thought this was a great issue. Yeah, it was my book of the week. I loved it. Yeah, I'm very happy with the direction of this book. After the the shaky first arc on Red Robin, the book just got really good, and I'm happy to see with new writers it's going to continue to stay good. Mm-hmm. And you know, keep Marcus Toe as long as you can, because damn, that dude can draw. It it is a beautiful book. Now, another Robin had uh, a new miniseries starting. Uh, Red Hood: The Lost Days issue one came out this week, issue one of six, and this tells the the Lost Days of jason todd after he came back from the dead and it's written by judd winnick who's the writer responsible for bringing jason todd back from the grave and uh wayne you read this didn't you yes i did what'd you think i really enjoyed this i would say this issue was more of a talia book than it was a uh you know than it was a red hood book but mm-hmm. i really enjoyed getting into her mind and seeing just why she actually did save him yeah this uh you know talia for those who didn't read the Batman annual that you know showed Superboy punching the universe and Jason Todd coming back from the dead because of that. For um, those people, and- I envy you. <laughs> I envy you. <laughs> but this is basically what happens after he comes back. And you know, uh, we know that Talia found him and she trained him and actually kind of took care of him. And we see that storyline start here. And like you said, it is more of a Talia book. Um than a Jason Todd, at least in this issue, because at this point he's still kind of catatonic. Um, but I thought it was really well written. I, you know, the art was was really good. It was it was a good story. It was a good start to a story. Yeah, you know, I, and that's how I like my Jason Todd at that point, catatonic. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree. Would, I want to see him get all angsty, and I want to read about that because that's the most interesting part of this character is his anger towards Batman, but for not ripping the Joker a new one. Well, yeah, once we get to that point. But did you ever read the Jason Todd stories before they killed him? Yeah, they remind me of Damien a lot. Yeah. If I would have been voting back then, I would have voted to kill Robin. And I would have voted to keep him dead, except I really like what they've done with him now. And I'm liking Mm -hmm. this transition of how he goes from being that horrible character that everyone – well, that at least 51% of the fans wanted dead – to the character now that's actually a really interesting, fully developed, thought, 
well thought out character. Let's Frank Morrison their- writes them. <laughs> but yeah, and this actually coincides with the upcoming release. Uh, I think it's in the next couple of weeks of Batman Behind the Red Hood, which is an animated movie based on the story where Jason Todd came back from from the dead. Um, that and it looks really good. Uh, it has Bruce Greenwood as the voice of Batman and Jensen Ackles from Supernatural as the voice of Jason Todd. So uh, I'm I'm definitely curious about the movie and. Uh, you know, hopefully it continues with DC directs or, or DC animated movies uh, quality because they've been pretty good recently. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I was shocked by how quickly JLA Crisis on uh, Two Earths made it to Netflix streaming. Is it on Netflix streaming right now? I didn't see yeah, it. Yeah, I watched it last weekend on Netflix streaming and I was shocked it was already on there. I know what I'm doing today. It's a good flick. You should check it out. Well, James we know Woods what you're doing Owl today, Man. too. You're you're watching Batman XXX a porn parody, but now we know what you're doing tomorrow. <laughs> well, you know, after I after I take my nap, after having watched Batman uh, porn ten minutes of the Batman porn parody, then I can <laughs> then I can watch uh, the uh, Netflix streaming JLA Crisis. Um, minutes? Are you in it for its pleasure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, what the hell? You, should, you shouldn't make it past the beginning credits. Um, one more Batman book this week. Um, is the Superman Batman annual. Uh, it's the fourth annual. I haven't read Superman Batman in a long time because, let's be honest, the book sucks. Um, but I picked this one up. It's written by Paul Levitz. But that's not why I picked it up. I picked it up because it is a Batman Beyond story. And for those who watched the Batman Beyond TV series, um, there was a, a two-parter called, I think, The Call, um, that actually had Batman Beyond interacting with the future Justice League. Um, including you know, Superman Beyond, the Superman of the future, and um, this actually is takes um, you know takes its cue from that. So we actually see references to that that two parter in this book. We see more of Metropolis. You know what's happened to Metropolis? What happens to Superman Beyond? You know what happened with Lois Lane? You know what happened with Lex Luthor? Things like that. Um, so story wise, I absolutely loved this book. If you are a Batman Beyond fan, you have to read this book. It is well, it damn is, you, Paul. I have to go out you now between recording this and heading to work, and I have to buy this book. The reason I didn't pick it up is because, like you were saying, Batman, you know, Superman Batman hasn't been that good in a long time, and its placing continuity is always iffy. They're telling stories that just don't possibly fit anywhere, yeah. and it drives me crazy. And I have they they try to skirt that line. Like some books, if they just say they're out of continuity, they're their own universe, that's cool. But when they do things in the book that play into the regular universe, like the fall of Lex Luthor, and then they do stories that are completely out there that in no way tie in, you mm-hmm. can't have it both ways. Yeah. But everything, but you just sold me on this issue because I was a huge Batman Beyond fan. Yeah. And, you know, it, if you thought Batman Beyond or you know, if, if you thought Bruce Wayne has a tragic future ahead of him – that's nothing compared to what Superman has ahead of him uh, in the Batman Beyond times. Ooh, that sounds good. <laughs> it is It is a, a good book. My only qualms with it, my only qualms with it are the art. The art is good, but because it's so in continuity or, you know, it's so, it so perfectly fits in the Batman Beyond cartoon continuity, I would have rather seen art in the style of the TV show rather than straight comic book art. Um, you know, th- this has regular comic book art, and it's very pretty art. It just—I would have rather seen something done in the style of the TV show. 
but story-wise, it, it, it very much fits the mood of the TV show, and I do recommend it for fans of Batman Beyond. Now, uh, this coming week, Grant Morrison returns to the Batman title with issue 700. Yes. I, I know you're excited, Paul. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm a little – I'm going to pick it up. It's Batman 700. It's got a bunch of great artists on it, including David Finch's first interior DC Comics work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited about it. But at the same time, it's supposed to tell what happened to Batman between Final Crisis or between Batman R.I.P. and Final Crisis. And, um, you know, I just I'm hoping I get more answers than just the usual Grant Morrison nonsense. Right. Okay, but, Paul. You know, I would I would have put this out there now. The book is going to be bad. You're going to regret buying it. And when you when you talk about it, I'm going to say say to you, I told you so. <laughs> Those are my three predictions. You know what? That's your teaser for next week. <laughs> Check back next week to see if that happens. But one more book we want to talk about this week, um, and I, I think almost all of us read this one. Is Woo! The, the Thanos Imperative. Did all of us read this book? I read it. Woo! Nope, I'm not. In, I'm not really into the big space stories. See Wayne's previous comment. <laughs> <laughs> so Tim, you didn't read it either. Nope. Well, ah, okay. so uh, when, by all of us, I mean Aaron, me, and Jonathan. Jonathan, what you think? I love this book. Same here. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I, this this you know we we went on and on about how much we enjoyed uh, uh, Thanos Imperative Ignition, and this just carried on the awesome. I just really, really dug this book. And, uh, you know, I'm not familiar with all that's happened. And if you read there, there's an interview with Abnett and Lanning in the back of the book. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't read it because Abnett and Lanning are going to be on Funny Books with Aaron and Polly in the coming weeks. And you should just listen to that one instead. Yeah. Um, but they, they do say this was the storyline they've been building up to. And it sounds like this is kind of the the concluding piece of their big space epic, um, at least as far as you know, what they've been building up to him, you know, I guess it would be starting fresh after it. If there is, you know, a, a storyline or books, if, that if there's continue. a universe after it, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> the cancer verse is invading our universe. Photogen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I really dug this book. I thought there were some, some nice character moments, uh, rocket raccoon standing off against Thanos, threatening him. I loved it. Loved it. Thanos no longer naked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and can- and the Cancer vs. Avengers. Yeah. Which, the Revengers. Yeah, the Revengers. Oh, the Revengers. Yeah. Uh, cool stuff. Definitely cool stuff. I enjoyed the hell of a hell out of it. And next issue, they have a, a preview, a couple of uh, sketch pages of next issue. Huh? Looks awesome. Yeah, the whole, yeah. Artwork. the whole thing just looks great. And I have to tell you. Uh, the Cancerverse version of the Defenders looks much more interesting than our Defenders have ever looked. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, you know the, the the Hulk with the big ram horns, yeah, yeah, I'm all on that. <laughs> I thought I thought this book was great. I, I am so excited about uh, about Thanos Imperative. Yeah, apparently, apparently next issue, based on the preview, there's going to be a little Galactus action. Yeah, yeah. Cool stuff. I wonder if I wonder if Beta Ray Bill is going to show up in this miniseries. Predictions? What do you think? I think not. They've not used Beta Ray Bill much in uh, these cosmic stories. Yeah, but the, the remember there was talk of 
who did who did we interview? And when I say we, I mean you guys. <laughs> 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 that uh, that said they had plans for Beta Ray Bill. Kieran Gillen. He. I, I I honestly I don't think we'll see him in this story. I think we're going to see some more some more Beta Ray Bill action. I think that he would be well placed in these stories because you know his character does uh, roam the spaceways as it were. But uh, I, Abnett and Landing haven't shown any interest in in utilizing that character in these stories. Yeah, see, I think I it think, would be great if Beta Ray Bill showed up and killed the Cancerverse version of Thor. I, I think that would be awesome too. I, I'd love to see Beta Ray Bill. I mean, anytime I can see Beta Ray Bill, I'm pretty happy. So have yeah. you seen uh, have you seen the DVD of Planet Hulk? Because Beta Ray Bill's in that. Have, That's the last place I've seen him. I have not seen that. It, it ha- it's not on Netflix streaming. Yeah, for some reason they didn't do Silver Surfer in it. They did Beta Ray Bill instead. Beta Ray Bill was in the Sif one shot that came out about a month ago. That only yeah. I got. <laughs> I, I got the Sif one shot. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. You're not all that special, Tim. Oh. <laughs> Well, hey, uh, I hate to rush you guys along, but we have to go talk to Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. And by we, he means us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, pardon moi. Well, hey, uh, good chatting with you guys this week. Uh, Big stuff for next week. We're going to get to find out about Batman 700. I know we're all stoked about it. All excited. If it's a a short week, maybe we'll talk about the last issue of uh, The Wrong Nemesis. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Nemesis number two does come out this week. Picking it up. I don't know if I'm picking it up or not. I am. Uh, I, I don't like bi-monthly books. And uh, when I picked up Nemesis number one, I, I wasn't aware that it was a bi-monthly book. I never knew you had a problem with buys. And on that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a bunch, guys. Uh, All right. Ya. Take care, everybody. Make sure to watch Batman porn this week. But wait. Don't go. We had wrapped the show when we did so Paul and I could interview Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning for an upcoming new comic book day interview here on ideologyofmadness.com. Paul and I suck at math and telling time, though, so our conversion of the time difference between the States and the UK made us an hour early for our interview with Abnett and Lanning. Having some time to kill, we chatted a bit while we waited. Now, I'm disappointed we didn't get to talk about my trades this week because I read four of them. Ah, I read I read uh, the Mike Millar and uh, Brian Hitch Fantastic Four the Masters the Master of Doom. Oh, how was that? You know, I I stopped reading the the Miller Fantastic Four on their after their first or second issue because mm-hmm. I I just it just wasn't connecting with me. But in trades, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I just didn't think it was a good. I don't think it was a good single issue book. Like Hickman's books are fantastic on the Fantastic Four on mm-hmm. single issue, but it read much better as a collected volume. I mean, I picked up the hardback for uh, the Master of Doom for eight bucks. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, it's in pristine. I got it at the used bookstore at the big sale. And, uh, you know, it, it's hardback, beautiful condition. I also read uh, Caged Angels, the uh, trade for Thunderbolts, which I really enjoyed. I thought it was just really well done. And I read Captain America, The Man with No Face, which is the the second full adventure uh, with uh, Bucky Cap. Ah, okay. And also really very good. And then, Paul, I have to make a confession. I read the Red Hulk trade, red and green, Jeff Loeb. Mm-hmm. That's Frank Cho. I really liked it. (laughs) (laughs) 
I really liked this book. I I was so ashamed. I picked it up because I got it for like five bucks, and I really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I I. I'm surprised. <laughs> I well, I expected to hate it. I was like, ah, five bucks, it'll give me something to complain about. And you know, maybe it's because I went into it with such low expectations. But yeah, it's I don't know if you're familiar with which story it is, but I it's was about uh, to ask. does it say what issues it is? It does. It says uh Hulk seven through nine and King Size Hulk number one. I think if I remember that correctly, that's the one with Wendigo in Vegas yes. or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, those uh, the, I, I those were the Art Adams I think drew the yes the Wendigo yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. I re- and then there was like the She Hulk and like the the group of girls yes. fighting. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember King Size Hulk number one, but I do remember the other stories. And that then those are better than you know the other you know than the first six issues. <laughs> it was very enjoyable, and I, I, it was just it was just fun is what it was, and. I only had one minor complaint about it, but uh, really, really dug the, this book. And I, I sat there just ashamed of myself. <laughs> you should be. Well, what's your minor complaint? Well, there's a scene where Red Hulk has uh, She-Hulk with a chain around her neck, and he's dangling her over the edge of Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's choking and whatnot. And, you know, th- that would be a problem for a regular human being. But She-Hulk could just reach up on the chain and climb up it and not be choking anymore. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> you and I wouldn't be able to do that. We'd just sit there and choke like bitches. Yeah. She-Hulk could actually reach up there and go, you know what? I'm not choking anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I really liked it. I, I, I liked this a whole lot. Huh. I'm just ashamed of myself. But you know what's funny? <laughs> I think we just recorded your paperback spotlight. <laughs> Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. <laughs>